Friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano, joined as always by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'm actually a little bit bummed out. I found out just mere minutes ago that October the 26th is National Do a Risky Thing Day. So you, you, you're supposed to do something you wouldn't ordinarily do. And I had the perfect spot about an hour ago in line at the grocery store. Very voluptuous young lady standing in front of me. And I could have said to her, hey, honey, you got some nice cans there. Uh, as she was standing next to her six foot seven boyfriend. Although that would pr- probably be something I'd do anyway. So, but, you know, timing is everything in life. What can I say? Right. Awful. Awful, Benny. Awful. Maybe, maybe, maybe do something. Was it, what'd you, what'd you say it was? National do a risky thing day. Oh, risky thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, that is risky. But maybe, uh, <laughs> That's ordinary for me. Absolutely. I have a whole year to prepare for next year. Yeah. Well, um, we got a lot to talk about this week. We're going to, you know, a lot of news came out. I know last week we did our uh, predictions for the Crown Jewel event, which really exceeded a lot of expectations. Apparently very, his uh, social media has been very positive about it. Uh, Ratings were good. Um, The crowd was insanely hot for it. We'll get to that. Um, We had the, follow-up we're recording this on a tuesday so we had both the smackdown and raw what what wwe called the season premieres because this is the first smackdown and raw after the draft takes effect so new rosters new storylines and a whole lot of new music i don't know if you caught that on both shows but a lot of wrestlers had new entrance themes i guess they were waiting to the for the season premiere to debut them uh, a couple of them, uh, Keith, uh, Keith Lee, or excuse me, Bearcat Lee. He's got uh, he's got some new music I really liked. Um, I was surprised with Carmella had some new music. Um, I her silhouette dancing, you know. Um, I guess now that she's got the mask, they got to have the new theme that her that theme had grown on me. Uh, but yeah, a lot of changes, a lot of news. Um, we'll get to this week. But before we do, Benny, this is our. Uh, as we talk season premieres, I know our show uh, usually times the season premiere right around WrestleMania, but we have some new life, and with our new life is a uh, a new sponsor, an official partnership for the show. Why don't you tell everybody about that? Yes, absolutely. Give me one second here. So, Dan and Benny in the Ring is brought to you by Boogie's Wrestling Camp. Founded in 1992 by wrestling legend Jimmy Valiant and his beautiful wife, Angel, BWC is situated in beautiful scenic Shawsville, Virginia, right at the foothill of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Whether you want to be a wrestler, manager, announcer, or valet, BWC is the place for you. At BWC, you will receive the very best possible training from Jimmy and his amazing staff. You learn holes, bumps, psychology, promos, and the, the cost is just $250 down and $20 per session, which compared to a lot of wrestling schools is just pocket change. Uh, Boogie's Wrestling Camp has turned out 29 graduating classes, the most notable alumnus being, and you, I'm sure you're going to recognize this guy, AEW superstar hangman Adam Page. When you join BWC, you're not just joining a wrestling school, but you become a part of the family. Interested? Visit jimmyvaliant.weebly.com for more information on Boogie's Wrestling Camp. BWC, the ring of dreams where the dream becomes reality. 
Oh, well, don't forget to tell them that Dan and Benny sent you. There you go. Yeah, the uh, our our friend, true friend of the show, Jimmy Valiant. His episode is still our our most watched, or excuse me, most listened to. I guess. Um, great guy, amazing talent. I mean, we said it before. The Valiant Brothers, arguably the best tag team, one of the, if not the best tag team ever. Uh, phenomenal school, nice guy, great area for a scenic drive because. As much as we love Jim, we we Jimmy, we have said in the past. Well, what is it you said? Uh, go out to the it, middle of nowhere. Well, yeah, right. And it's God's country because only Jimmy and God know where it is. Yeah, drive drive out. That's that's what Jimmy told us. Drive out to the middle of nowhere, and and when you hit that, go another fifty miles. Go another fifty miles. Absolutely. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Now it, it's an awesome uh, place to look, and, and we'll we'll be talking about it on the page. So. Yeah, keep up. And now here we are, Dan and Benny, uh, the official partner and pot sponsor uh, podcast sponsored by the Boogie Wrestling School. So awesome stuff. Well, we uh, a lot of news coming out um, the wrestling world this week, Benny. A couple of things before we get to obviously the big event was Crown Jewel. Um, you've always been a numbers guy. And I don't know if you've seen the numbers the, since the last show. We've we've had two a uh, couple of big, big numbers come out, but the punk bump of sorts, our friends at AEW, uh, not looking so hot right now. SmackDown trounced them pretty decently in the in the last head-to-head. It was two over two million to under six hundred thousand. Uh, obviously, demographics aside, that's quite a beating. They've they've lost more than half the the audience they had for Punk's debut, and that was only a few weeks ago. That's really surprising to hear, though. I mean, with all the new talent. Well, you see, and that's the thing. I think you have uh, you got to get used to, and I, I, I don't think it doesn't drop below their core audience. Five, six hundred thousand. That was the core when they started, and it'll keep growing from there. Um, but you also have it's Friday night, ten o'clock. You know, people got so used to Monday Night Raw, Monday Nitro, the uh, streaming availability of like the NWA with power and then uh, Fight TV giving people a lot of streaming options for watching wrestling whenever they wanted. Hulu playing the replays of the 90 minute replays of Raw and SmackDown. And if you have Hulu cable, you can watch AEW. People don't remember the the days, and a lot of them don't. It seems like many of the days when when wrestling came on at whatever hour the the network had, because it, it was a local show. You, so a lot of times the, it was the local channel that broadcast the NWA or broadcast the early WWF, and it was it was to you know I remember the the Maryland Championship Wrestling came on at like two in the morning, you know, October eleventh, nineteen eighty, my my wedding night. <laughs> Midnight on Channel Nine in New York. I was watching. You know, I was watching wrestling. So that's that's <laughs> yep. the only time it was on. Yeah, it was it was it was random late hours. Of course, Saturday mornings was your your big WWF and NWA shows, and then ESPN later would play the AWA. So maybe people have to get used to watching the the numbers again. I also think, and I, I hate to say it because. He's done a lot for the business, but um, Dave Meltzer has really kind of become a, a, a cheerleader of sorts for numbers and for the the demographics. But you also have to figure in streaming. I mean, two two and a half million people watching SmackDown Live on Friday. Fox is a network show. How many more, you and me included, watched it on streaming later? 
Absolutely. You know, so if, if AEW's got 600,000 people and they have YouTube videos with millions of hits, you, 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 you're probably audience is easily several times that size. You just, you're not going to get 3 million people to sit in front of a TV at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. Not, not in the today's, today's age. I think all things considered though, considering they're what, two years old now. Yeah. They're not doing too bad. No, I mean, considering how many people, uh, it didn't expect them to last, uh, you know, or, or f- fizzle and fail, you know, you're not going to sell out a show. You're not going to bring in, uh, over you know a hundred thousand on ratings and here they are in the millions on some nights and selling out arenas in some cases going head to head new right. york for example head to head with the wwe and outselling them in tickets so they definitely have their niche and i think they're going to continue to grow yeah i believe especially with the increase in talent they have they have uh, the mid 90 early to mid 90s wcw right now w um, wcw was a, was a very power especially you know crockett into wcw you had a big audience now now granted things kind of fell and they weren't doing the big the numbers that raw and and at the time what you know hogan into Hart and Shawn michaels and all did but then you bring hogan over and lex luger shows up on the first nitro and the nwl you 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 bring the the fans with the talent. WCW just was throwing money at everything that, that wasn't bolted to the floor. And when you got CM Punk and Brian Danielson and some of the names that are expected to come over or have been showing up, your your international audience is huge. Bringing in these Japanese performers every week, and you know I I think they've definitely got something. And I'll give them credit; their product for the most part has been good. I do have one complaint. Uh, we talked about Friday, their ratings being a little down. Um, the when you when you have a show that's late and you you can't guarantee the audience, your opening moments should be huge. They did a good job the uh, with Punk wrestling the opening match, with Daniel Bryan wrestling the opening match. The last one I saw the opening match was a a, a title tournament, and one of the competitors in the opening match was orange Cassidy. Now, you know, my opinion of him as a character, but love him or hate him. Orange Cassidy's not going to bring in the casual viewer at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. I might switch over. Hey, Daniel Bryan's wrestling. I'm not going to switch over to watch an orange Cassidy mass. I'm going to go to bed and catch that tomorrow. Right. Yeah. If so, you can do that. yeah. So, uh, we'll see. Hopefully they, I, I, I'm cheering for them. They've got great stuff going on. Um, obviously more growth, uh, from other promotions, a couple of big events happening with the NWA and with, uh, TNA or excuse me, um, you know, with, with, with TNA wrestling and impact, uh, give them an A for effort. That's for sure. I mean, they're sure trying. And I yeah. think there's a lot more to come. I think you know you got you got the Bray Wyatt question. You got Braun Strowman. Those guys, right? Have they landed yet? I don't think they have. They have not. No. Okay. So you got to think that they're they're prime candidates to, to land there. And uh, you know the rumors with Charlotte Flair. Um, you know, there's, there's many more things are going to happen for them. Yeah, it, it's uh, interesting that you mentioned that. That was another story that broke this week, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. The uh, the story first started with back. There was backstage altercation between Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, 
which became heated. Apparently it wasn't physical, but it was a lot of shouting and in each other's faces. And then the story progressively got worse for Charlotte's side, where she was more the aggressor. Apparently, uh, the, even several sources confirming she was escorted out by security, just like, go home, you're done. Um, now, watching the championship exchange where her and Becky, spoiler alert for the results of, of the Crown Jewel matches, where her and Becky just swapped titles, it clearly seemed like something was amiss. So maybe that wasn't scripted. That was a bit off. It was just a bit odd. So now I I didn't know that. But now that you said that, like that whole title exchange actually makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, Uh, it's it's, but yeah. So um, then rumors, of course, start spreading. Charlotte's unhappy, has been for a while. Uh, Andrade has been very vocal on social media and through some of his social circles that he has nothing but ill will for the company and he wants her gone and, and with him over in uh, Oh, over in AEW. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think she'd be, she'd be a steal for them. I mean, oh, absolutely. Lo- like lover or hater. Uh, I've complained before how I think she's been overprotected. Um, and obviously the crowd has, they appreciate her talent. They certainly react to her matches, but the crowd has turned on her as a character and a person for kind of the, the, the same thing Roman Reigns dealt with for a few years where the crowd was just sick of seeing her be so, so superhero. She might be the female Tom Brady equivalent in the WWE. Well, yeah, probably. I mean, she's already a multi-time champion. So speaking right. of championships, I mentioned how some both, uh, the NWA and impact uh, Mickey James actually is now is the new impact women's champion. So for someone who the WWE literally th- sent her belongings in, in the garbage because she was done shows that she still can run circles around some of the talent out today. So good for her. Excellent. But moving on to our, I guess, main bit, we threw some predictions out. You and I were pretty much the same for most most of the predictions across the board. We're going to look at the crown jewel event now, but before we get started on match by match, um, I personally, I thought this was a great show really top to bottom. Even some of the, I don't even want to say weaker moments, but some of the bits that might not have been as strong as the rest of the show were still good. This is really one of the better start to finish pay-per-views that they've done in a while. And the Saudi crowd was just, on their feet and hot for the entire event. And I, they really so, you know, we've talked about it before, how a crowd can make or break a show or a match. They, they really added to this. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, out of nine matches, I'd say seven of them were really good. I mean, and none of them were really bad. Yeah. I mean, you get 10 matches, including the pre-show, which was okay, also fun. Of, yeah. A fun match, but yeah, there was really no. There were some surprises. I'll def. I'll we'll get to that. But yeah, there was really no match that I would say, okay, that was just bad. But yeah, no, they were all, and even the matches that may not have been classics, they did a good job telling a good story. So yes, agree. And I mean, you had you had several firsts that we'll get into. But did you happen to watch the pre-show, Benny? I did not. I saw snippets of the of the match, but no, I did not. Okay, yeah. For 
for those out there, the pre-show, the Usos uh, defeated the Hurt Business. Ten minutes, typical tag match, good spots. Obviously, four very talented performers. Um, I liked it. Usos came out on top. It was, a, I mean, I, I never, I never want to say this to sound critical, but it was a typical good tag. Ten minute. It was a typical ten minute tag match. If that makes any sense to you, Benny. Yeah, and I, that sounds like a predictable outcome as well. Yeah. Yeah, they've the, and and we'll see the hurt business again. We'll get to that. Uh, but the main show, and I was surprised this went on first. But the main show started with a cell match, the the real grudge match of of the event. Um, I mean, obviously there were several, but this was the the the, the rubber match, as they used to call it. Three, uh, third time wrestling Edge and Seth Rollins in in a Hell in a Cell match, and this was the longest match on the card. This match went. Uh, almost 30 minutes, which, but it never felt long or dragged out. Definitely had some, if I, if I'm to, to put any criticism, it, it fell into the same mold as the extreme and hell in a cell matches have in recent years where wrestlers are kicking out of moves that would literally kill them. If you had done it right, you know, I'm watching uh, that, that bit with, Seth Rollins putting the chain around his boot, which I thought was creative and then kicking edge in the head with it twice. You know, you, there's a reason a chain around the fist was a common brawler weapon back in the day that will kill someone. You, you right. sandwich someone's head with a steel chair, there's brain coming out. Like I, I I've been critical of it in the past. And I think you've agreed with me on some of it that for entertainment, a good chair shot, ladder mat, ladder spot, getting slammed through a table. You can do those well. I mean, Mick Foley wouldn't have a career if you couldn't do spots like that well and impactful. But when I watch a match and I see somebody get just their head caved in multiple times with a chair and then get up 30 seconds later and they're back in control of the match, my I may not realize it, but my brain's telling me, timeout, something doesn't feel right about this. And now I watch... Edge kick out of multiple stomps, getting kicked in the head with a chain, getting getting stomped in the head with a chain, getting hit in the head with a chair, and he keeps kicking out because he's digging deep. So his next match is is a, a regular finisher going to beat him now that I've seen what the punishment he can take? Am I supposed to believe he's vulnerable? I mean, he's literally superhuman. To the schoolboy, because everybody's vulnerable to that. <laughs> right. I mean, it reminds me, I was very critical a few years ago of the main event with uh, Ro- um, at WrestleMania, Roman Reigns, when he when Roman Reigns lost to Brock Lesnar, I think it was six F5s before Roman Reigns was finally down. I mean, it was the entire match was just F5 kick out, spear kick out, F5 kick out, Superman punch kick out. And I'm, I mean, by the by the second or third kick out, it's just like I, I'm, I'm bored. And this is silly. Uh, but. With that, that and I and I know I may have gone in a little long-winded there, but that was a minor criticism. Other than that, this match was incredible. You have two talented workers. Uh, Seth Rollins is probably one of the best technical talents on the roster right now. Edge, I mean, ageless wonder. And of course, Edge came out on top. I loved the finish where you set up the chair, you set up the hold where he had the wrench in his mouth and he wrapped the chain. And but then he had to beat him with the stomp. That was the kind of mo- like storytelling you don't really see in matches anymore. It was it was I believed these two guys wanted to kill each other. 
It really had it had a real grudge feel to it. I mean, they really they 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 built the story well. You know, it, it set did the unthinkable. He he broke into Edge's house. He sat on his Barco lounger. He he drank OJ out of the bottle. That bastard. I mean, yeah, he drank, I, drank his orange juice. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a heinous crime by by anybody's um, measurement. And no, the thing I liked though was the 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 swapping of the moves. You had Edge doing the buckle bomb. You had Seth doing the unprettier, and then at the end you had uh, Seth trying to concerto, but then you had Edge winning with the curb stomp. It was it was perfect. Yeah, and I will admit now, I loved the setup when Seth Rollins had the chain and he kicked Edge a few times and he went for the stomp and Edge crotched him with the chair. Perfect. I thought that not only did, did that spot look great, but the timing to pull that off well shows how talented those two men are. But and this, wonder, you wonder if they're going to bring this with them to Raw, or they, well, they're both they both got drafted to Raw. Right. But we'll get we'll get to that um, in in a bit for for cause I know we didn't really talk about it. You said you hadn't caught up on Raw. Um, the main event of sorts for Raw, they had a, a ladder match to determine uh, who was going to be the number one contender for Big E's title, and it was Rollins, Kevin Owens. Ray Mysterio, and uh, it was a fa- fatal four-way. Rollins, Kevin Owens, Ray Mysterio, and of course uh, Finn Balor. And Seth Rollins ended up winning the match. So it looks like Rollins' Big E is going to be the next move on there. Okay. Uh, but they didn't really, you know, y- they're starting to lay the foundation. But I think putting Rollins right into the main event as the heel challenger was the right move here. Absolutely. And it well, was, I, I kept track of the matches. So that was 27 minutes and 35 seconds. So you're right, like real close to 30 minutes. And it, it, the thing was, <clears throat> it didn't feel like it was that long. No, that's what I said. It never felt like a 30-minute match. I mean, I look at Edge uh, WrestleMania a few years ago, Edge's grudge match with uh, Randy Orton. That match was over 30 minutes, and you felt every single one of them. You know, this one was great. Uh, but speaking of hot crowd, the the hometown favorite, Super, super over. Um, Mansoor, the next match was Mansoor and Mustafa Ali. Now, this was a 10-minute uh, technical good match. Of, uh, the right Mansoor won. Um, obviously, you know, the WWE loves to break up tag teams because these these two had a team going. But uh, Mansoor looked great. Crowd loved it. I mean, I really – I know it sounds like I'm shortchanging him after all the time we spent talking to that last match, but – other than some some great spots, I mean, there's I, I really can't put it any better than that. This was a 10-minute good technical match between two good guys that were both insanely over. And interestingly enough, they did point it out. This is the first time in WWE history that two Muslim wrestlers faced each other on a pay-per-view. Okay. So, And, of course, doing, doing so in Saudi Arabia is a, a huge... But, yeah, that's uh, good stuff. What do you think, Benny? So you were spot on. It was 10 minutes and two seconds. So you were right there. There you um, go. Yeah, and I have my note is student versus teacher. Um, and now, at the end of the match, after Monster won, then there was the customary beatdown by Ali. Of course. And this strange-looking guy comes into the ring. Uh, yep, a, I was going to let you get to layer, that. Go layer, ahead, layers of towels or whatever he's wearing. And just like kind of like one head one after the other. And I guess... I, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Tariq or Tariq Hamidi. I know his last name is Hamidi, 
but he's a Saudi Olympian in judo, is it? Or karate? Karate, yep. Okay. And he, and he lays out Ali with a very nice kick. Yeah, I mean, very fast. And I give them credit because when, when he came out and the music played and you kind of didn't really get what was happening, and when he took the, the hood off and or the, the, the head covering and revealed who he was, the crowd went nuts. He, that is the perfect hometown hero spot. I mean, I, 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 I haven't heard anything about him signing the way they did with uh, some other, other Olympic athletes, but the crowd went nuts for that. It was a gorgeous looking kick. Ali sold it like gold and the crowd was hot for it. So again, I talk about how the crowd made everything count. Yeah. I mean, I had no, no idea who that guy was, but the crowd sure did. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he, I mean, like I said, hometown hero. I mean, Olympic uh, Olympic hero. I mean, you you said it right at the beginning, but I have to say, like this crowd was really into this. They, I mean, you when they panned to the crowd, people really. They, I mean, they were thoroughly enjoying themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, it was a silver, by the way. He won silver at the twenty twenty Olympics. Okay. Okay. Which, of course, happened in 2021 thanks to COVID. So his his win is still fresh in their in the minds of the crowd. So, gotcha. Definitely a solid match. Though. I gave that one three stars. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. Very solid. Very fluid. Yeah, absolutely. And and those two guys have great chemistry. Yes. But uh, after that, the next matchup. Benny, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take this one because you talked about how it was a match you were really looking forward to, and I, I need you to explain to me the the amazing entrance that we got. But the next match was the RK Bros defending the title against AJ Styles and Omos. So uh, what do what do you think, Benny? What are your thoughts yeah, on this? You mean spectacle? as far as R- R- Riddle coming in a, in a ca- on a camel, coming to the ring on a camel? How, how do you think that? That's like <laughs> that's the best. I you know. I thought this was going to be one of the not so good matches on the show, but I, I mean, first of all, I was very surprised Riddle and Orton that they really have some good chemistry. They work very well together. And my note is Omos is looking more and more comfortable every time. Absolutely. Uh, every, every time you see him, he really he's getting into it. Uh, short match, eight minutes, 42 seconds. Great finish with, uh, uh, the RKO of the phenomenal forearm and then a, a floating bro by Riddle for the pin. I gave this three stars. The only thing that I didn't like in this match is that I thought they would further, possibly further the, you know, the, the possible breakup of Styles and almost, almost, and they, they didn't do that. At least I didn't see it unless I missed no, it. No, they, they definitely didn't push that storyline. I did like in the intro where, when Riddle came out on the camel, you know, he's usually on the scooter or something, but Randy Orton perfect sold the straight man. Like he clearly thought it was funny, but like was, was pretending to be annoyed. (laughs) I thought that was great stuff, but yeah, no, this was just good chemistry all around. Obviously another RKO out of nowhere off the phenomenal forearm. I mean, we've seen him hit AJ with the RKO from the phenomenal forearm before, but just great stuff. And the crowd loved it again crowd was hot and i think the right team won here keeping the titles with the rk bros absolutely and it looks like the uh continuing on you mentioned again fill you in on raw they had a number one contenders match 
and the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, were the one and became the number one contenders, and then actually faced the RK Bros at the end of the night, lost. But it certainly didn't feel like that storyline is over. So that looks like the next feud, at least there for now, is is the RK uh, Bros and the Dirty Dogs. They're going to be the stopgap until they figure out how to work the Street Profits and some of these other teams into the storyline. Right. Uh, but moving on from that, the the next match we had up was the first first women's match of the night and the uh, Queen's Crown Tournament Finals between Zelina Vega and Dewdrop. Now, in our predictions, you and I talked about uh, how we were both surprised by the outcome because obviously Dewdrop hadn't really been built as a character and Zelina Vega hadn't, I couldn't remember the last time she'd won a match. She was kind of a jobber. Um, and... It was five minutes, about six minutes, I mean. Um, and I will say this was the longest match of the entire Queen's Crown tournament, which shows how much time it was given when six minutes is is a marathon. Uh, Zelina Vega won clean, which surprised me. I, I, I could see her winning, like we talked about in the predictions, but the fact that it was clean as a whistle, I was impressed. And the crowd seemed into it. I... I I take nothing away from them, but the last time we saw a women's match in Saudi Arabia, the crowd was not overly friendly to it. Um, There's still, I believe it was Natalia. Somebody threw something at her during her entrance from the crowd um, a couple years ago when her and Lacey Evans had their match, but the crowd was, was all over this. Um, so now you've got Queen Zelina and she's ready to, uh, ready to rule with an iron fist. I, I really was impressed by that code red that she won with. Yeah. I don't know how she pulled that off, but boy, oh boy, that was, that was great. Um, yeah. Five minutes, 50 seconds. Um, I thought it was a very nice moment for Zelina because I mean, quite honestly, she's not going to really, I don't think she's going to accomplish much as a wrestler per se, but I think she can do a lot with the queen gimmick. Absolutely. And I think that's why they, you know, that's why they gave to her. I think she can really, she can get a lot of mileage out of this. Yeah. And with, with Becky Lynch being the Raw Women's Champion and there being her her continued storyline feuds with uh, with um, Bianca Belair, really, she's not going to be anywhere near the title picture anytime soon. So giving her something like this to do where she can still feel important, I think, I think will help. And, and she'll pull it off. I mean, she's a talker, and that's half the fun of being a heel king, or in this case, heel queen, is to be to be a good talker. It's not what it used to be as far as the, you know, the queen or, or the king of the ring. I think it was a little bit more prestigious back in the day when Harley race won it. Now it's more, you know, it's more symbolic, but uh, I, I think they're going to give it to somebody who can really just take it and run with the, you know, just run with the gimmick. Yeah. Un- unfortunately the last few years, I mean, we'll see what they do with the queen's crown, but the last few years, I mean, uh, Corbin, Seamus, Wade Barrett, even Regal to a point, although he was, the story goes, he was primed for a championship match before he got caught up in that uh, issue, you know, when a bunch of guys got suspended because they raided the doctor's office of after, you know, with, with the, that were helping Benoit and all them. Oh. But uh, it really, the, the King of the Ring used to be 
kind of like the Intercontinental title was was the workhorse, and eventually your Intercontinental champion would be the, in the main event. The King of the Ring was you knew a year or so later, like Bret Hart, Owen Hart. You know these guys were gonna they were gonna be the next thing. You saw it with uh, Shamrock when he beat The Rock uh, for for King of the Ring when he won the Intercontinental title. You know they they pushed him into a big angle and and he joined the corporation and became the you know he that helped ken shamrock immensely obviously the rock didn't suffer from from losing but right uh kurt angle yeah you've had billy gunn even to a point you had uh you know it meant something to kind of push you to that next level but recently it's just i mean wade barrett and baron corbin being the best examples where you win king of the ring and you still you're still a jobber like so hopefully they'll do more with it. Uh, yes. We'll get to the King of the Ring later. But before the the King of the Ring, the next matchup was the uh, grudge match involving numerous death threats, child abuse, and some other wonderful exchanges. Goldberg threatening to kill Lashley. Lashley threatening to hurt Goldberg's family again. You had Goldberg and Lashley in a no-holds-barred falls count anywhere. Now, this is another one. This goes to the same mentality of the Edge Seth Rollins match. And correct me if I'm wrong here or disagree with me if you want, Benny. But this match was about 11 and a half minutes, if I remember, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Um, And it never, this did not feel like a 10 minute match. I remember. The, the, a couple manias ago when Goldberg defended the, the, the title against Lesnar and they said it was the best five minute match in, in, in WWE history because it was just, it was so fast paced and, and they got everything done. This match was about 10, 11 minutes and it never felt long. It never felt drawn out. Go. I, I, I give Goldberg credit for wrestling a ten, uh, an 11 minute match and not, not looking, I mean, not looking gassed or blown out. Um, Lashley did great selling and give delivering. They both did. I really thought, and this was one of the better matches I think Goldberg's had in a long time. And I mean, he, uh, it was hard hitting. There was, I mean, tables and, and barricades and chairs and canes and everything else. And then of course, the Hurt Business tried to help, but they were quickly disposed of, and Goldberg wins with the spearing Lashley onto the obviously not a crash pad covered in a black cloth that that collapsed perfectly. I give them credit. I was very critical of AEW when Jericho took the fall off the cage into the obvious crash pad, and, and it looked, it was clear as day, a crash pad covered in cardboard. At least this was a crash pad covered in, in tarp, so it kind of made it didn't it didn't look like a crash pad just sitting there. It looked like something you would see stacked up in an arena. Yep. But yeah, he speared him through off the stage. I think Michael Cole tried to say the stage was twenty feet high. Um, but I enjoyed it. I, I, which I'm surprised. I'm usually not a big fan of the false count anywhere beatdown matches. What do you think, Benny? I I think they did a really good job because I'm thinking like, how long is this going to be? And like you said, it was 11 minutes, 26 seconds. I thought they did a really good job of prolonging it, but like not making it that obvious. You know, when Lashley was working on, on Goldberg's knee with the chair, 
you know, he had the had the chair wrapped around his knee, and I think he I think he had the chair on the wrong way because when he when he jumped off the rope, I think he actually completely missed the chair. But it was a it was a good way of like you know keeping Goldberg as the you know the underdog, not the underdog, but <clears throat> you know the babyface making the comeback. But it, like I said, it they did a great job making really what was probably like two minutes of wrestling. You know, they, they made an eleven minute match out of it, and they did a great job. Yeah, I I agree, and the crowd was hot for everything again. Um, this was a match where the crowd energy was really noticeable because every big moment, the the full you know going through the table, going through the barricade, crushing it when he had his leg in the chair, the crowd popped for the big moments, but stayed cheering throughout the match. They really helped elevate it because we've seen some hardcore matches and, and false count anywhere, no holds barred matches in the past where the crowd feels dead. And when the crowd's not reacting to somebody going through a table, it really kills the, 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 the aura, but the crowd really was hot. I mean, I can't stress enough how good this crowd was for, for a live show. Absolutely. So from, from queen to King, the next match, Benny was King of the ring tournament final, uh, Xavier Woods against Finn Balor. Now this match was about 10 minutes and I thought this match was great. There was one, I don't know if they did it on purpose. There was one spot where Balor was trying, looked like he was trying for some kind of a suplex and they kind of fell into each other, but they, Xavier Woods rolled out of it like, like straight military role. So I don't know if they were, if that was scripted or not, or I let me rephrase that. If, if that was what they were going for, but if it wasn't, they recovered nicely. Um, I, I was surprised. I mean, we, we both, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we both pick Xavier to win? Yes. And I, he, I'm glad he did. I, I like what they're doing with, with the King Xavier gimmick. Um, but he, I mean, here's a guy who's been a tag team performer his entire career, especially this main run with the new day. He's He's always been the third guy. It was Big E and Kofi, and then Xavier was the the trombone player, and he was, you know, nine times out of ten, it seemed like when they would have a tag match, he was the third man, and those two would wrestle. But to go from that, he beat Finn Balor clean. Finn Balor has been pushed as one of the best and, you know, uh, one good move away from being champion competitors they have, and Xavier Woods beat him. I think this elevates him to a whole new level. I don't expect Xavier Woods to be heavyweight champion anytime soon, but he's certainly now, now you've got three legitimate main event talents in the, in the, in the new day, easily one of the most successful factions ever at this point. But I love this match. I thought it was great. I love the, the elbow off the middle of the rope where he walks the kind of, you know, walks the rope and then jumps down. I, I love that move. He's still, great and i give finn balor credit when he set him up for the finishing elbow i don't know if you caught this where he when he, when he hit balor he was kind of in an angle and as xavier woods landed the move balor just naturally like in like grabbed his chin you know kind of did the chest roll like oh my ribs but he rolled perfectly into position and if you didn't know what you were looking for it would have looked natural but but i give him that is brilliant pacing that shows the mind that Balor has for the ring, and it shows the chemistry those two have. Because I, 
you know, I, a great example I've shown people before is if you watch the Madison Square Garden match where Hogan wins the title against the Iron Sheik, the Iron Sheik like clears day, scoots his butt and like slides over to position himself for the leg drop because he was so out of place when he took the boot. You know, it, it I mean, I, I didn't care. Hulk Hogan won the title, but single handedly defeated, you know, try single handedly started uh, started us on the path to win the Cold War and him and Rocky four. But you know, I, I loved it. I mean, the whole time the Sheik was thinking, I wonder if I should have taken that hundred grand from uh, Vern, you know? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I am totally with you. I, I love this match. Solid match. Um, Xavier has lived in the shadow of the New Day for years now, and this is going to be this is going to be nice. I mean, like you said, he beat a premier wrestler in, in Finn Balor. I mean, he didn't, and it was a clean win. Uh, I love the the you know the old school walking off the ropes to the into the Macho Man elbow. Um, these guys, these, they were both great, and I think you know again, I, I don't think he's going to be champion, but you know, like like Zelina will do, I think he'll add a lot. He'll do a lot with the King gimmick. Absolutely. Especially with Kofi as his partner in crime. Oh, yeah. And you saw that on SmackDown, re- reading of the Royal Decree. and But I will say one thing, uh, and, and it's not a criticism of Xavier Woods, but did you notice that both Zelina Vega and Xavier Woods couldn't get their, couldn't couldn't get their, get their tapes on? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And Xavier Woods even t- narrated to the camera, like, hang on, this has got to be perfect. And he couldn't <laughs> he screw it, so he threw it over his shoulder. You know, he tried, and she, I mean, she gave up almost immediately, but because it was, that, so I don't know if it was the Velcro or the heat or those clasps, but but did you notice both of them couldn't get, couldn't get, get the neck piece on. done? Yep. Yeah. Now, now come SmackDown, worked perfectly, so whatever they, issue they had, they fixed it. But I did like him telling the camera, like, don't, don't, don't cut away yet. This has got to be perfect. And he threw the over his shoulder and the scepter and the crown. I love it. And Xavier Woods is an amazing talent across the board. Yes. Now the next matchup was the WWE Championship. This was Big E and Drew McIntyre. This is a good old Haas fight. What do you think of this match, Benny? Uh, you know, all things considered, it wasn't bad. Uh, the customary, you know, Drew kicked out of the big ending. Uh, e kicks out of the Claymore. So you know, you, you expect that. And uh, I liked the top rope bulldog that that Drew executed. Very good. They they went 13 minutes. Again, now the thing with this match, I, I thought it was a good match. I thought they worked very well together. I gave it three stars. The thing with this match is you absolutely knew how it was going to end. So it was kind of hard to really get into it. You, yeah. You, you knew that Drew had zero chance of winning the match. But all things considered, I thought it was an enjoyable match. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, I don't think, especially going to SmackDown, I don't think Drew McIntyre walks away looking like a chump. He looked great. Big E gave him some props on Raw even though he wasn't on the show anymore, which just shows one big E's a kind of a fighting champion, but also, you know, Drew McIntyre was a nose hair away from winning. I liked it. I, I, I really, I have no, like I, everything you said is, is exactly on the nose. Um, I did like I, the, where, the way they did the Claymore spot where it wasn't the usual count. He kind of hit it during the big E was running. Yeah. I liked that. I, you know, I don't want to yes. say, I don't want to say out of nowhere. I don't want to steal Randy's thunder, but uh, I like that. And then the second big ending was enough, and the crowd loved it. It was it was interesting when Drew McIntyre came out with the Claymore, and 
he he had that holster or excuse me scabbard on the on the on the uh turnbuckle because i guess the stage didn't have the spot for him to stab the sword like he's been doing the, i don't know if you noticed that he carried no, the sword I didn't all the way no, yeah no. he carried the sword all the way to the ring so i thought that i thought that was one of those little things where it's like oh look at that and of course they really and i don't know i don't this isn't a criticism i just thought it was interesting they really drilled in that his that his sword is named after his mother did you notice they mentioned that about a eight six yes, or seven yes. times throughout the match in the intro so but um next up the the second women's match so you had five women competing on this show which is the first this was a, the first women's triple threat match to be held in saudi arabia Becky Lynch defending the SmackDown title against Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Now, this was another one you and I talked about where you, especially with Charlotte Flair still having the title and not being on this card, you kind of knew where they were going with this. Um, this was, this match was, was the second longest match of the night. It was about 20 minutes, maybe 19 and a half. I, I think is what I remember. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm not going to lie. This was the match I kind of just couldn't really get into. It's not a criticism of the talent. You got three amazing performers, but they did a lot of, we talked about it several times in the past, Benny, the triple threat spots where somebody gets gently bumped and they roll out of the ring for 10 minutes while the other two or a few minutes while the other two do their spots. Um, I, this match felt excessive with that. There weren't a lot of all three of them in the ring at the same time. And maybe it's just me. The crowd seemed to love it. But that spot where Becky hit the, the disarmor on both of them at the same time, I thought that looked terrible. I mean, not just not not that it, it looked like a bad moment, but it's one of those the way the disarmor work is supposed to work. You're you're pulling the arm against the way the shoulder naturally moves when you have two people stacked on top of each other and you're pulling arms in two different directions. Neither of them are in any pain. It, I thought that spot looked really stupid, and that's just maybe that's just me. But that was that was my big criticism was I thought that spot looked silly. Um, I liked I liked the ending with Becky kind of cheat you know, doing the cheap cheap pin with the ropes the rope assist. You know that way Sasha doesn't go away looking weak because she's she's staying on SmackDown and. Bianca Belair can can keep the claim that she didn't lose this match, so her and Becky aren't done. All in all, I, it, it was again. That's my thoughts. What do you think, Benny? Well, I'm with you. I mean, just by nature, the fact that it's a triple threat match, <laughs> you have those. I they go in comas. You know, they get knocked. They get knocked out. Which you know, in a singles match, they would probably wouldn't even be down. But they're like they're out of the ring for two minutes. Um, my note is B Bianca Belair is a star. I thought she was so good. She gets better and better. I think they, you know, meaning Becky and Sasha, they had a hard time keeping up with her. She's just yeah. such a phenomenal athlete. And she's, you know, she keeps improving. I, I, the sky's the limit for her. But one thing, and kind of alluding to what you said, you know, where, where they're not in the ring, at the three, I, I, I timed this, at the three-minute and 29-second uh, mark of the match, Michael Cole made the statement, Bianca Belair dominating at every turn. Now, in the first three minutes and 29 seconds, she was in the ring 
less than a minute. So, I, I, you know, my my, my uh, remark was Michael Cole sucks at every turn. <laughs> we, but, Betty, we have we have talked about a lot of pay per views in in the all, better part of a year. Believe it or not, it won't be long before we've been doing this for a year together. And how many times have we said, holy, I mean, Re- WrestleMania, the, I showed you, you, you can't see it over the audio, but Benny and I have a video connection when we do the show. I showed you on my notes and Big Bull scratched in on Big Bull letters, Michael Cole sucks. sucks. How many times have we been critical of his announcing? I mean, she was at, point, at times she was dominating, but like at the three minute mark when she's, She's been out of the ring for over two minutes. What what is she dominating? That was yeah. maybe something he could have said like you know ten minutes later or you know, but yeah, I, I just he he just annoys me. Now you'll get an argument from me on that one. I I, I did like the um, the 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 bank statement and the disarmor on um, Bianca. Yeah, I guess at the same time and at the same the time. But yeah, the double disarmor definitely did not work though. Yeah, and the fact that, that that Bianca was able to survive that, I think, makes her just look extra strong. I, I um, think this match really made her shine. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I I want to give credit where credit is due. That that move that that Sasha Banks does with the double knee—they call it the Meteora, where she does the you know jumps in with the double knees. Yes. Off the off the apron into somebody. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how you would give or take that move safely. It just one of those things that just looks like it's hurt, looks like it's going to hurt. It looks like a million things can go wrong at the same time. And I give them credit because I've, despite, un- unfortunately, some of the past Sasha Banks has had with, with injuring opponents, um, I've never seen her injure anybody with the Meteora and, and people take it and it looks, it looks impressive. Maybe it's her size that helps, but I give him credit for that. That just, just the pure like mechanics of that move. There's like zero room for error. But you're absolutely, right. it, it, you know, it seems they seem to pull it off every time. Yeah, well, it it, it very similar to if you look at like uh, a Daniel Bryan or Chris Benoit or some of these competitors that have done the diving headbutt, and then you look at the way Harley Race did it, where he his shoulder was down and he just kind of. It, it was a combination of a dive and falling into you. And he did it so well that it was one of those moves where, like, you know, a uh, uh, tiny sliver in any direction, and he's landing on his, he's landing on your shoulder. He's he's headbutting you in the face. You know, it's one of those moves that's just so perfect with how it – the Bobby Eaton leg drop is another one, the Alabama jam, where – you know, there's so little margin for error, but he does it flawlessly every time, and it looks great. The Meteor is one of those moves where, like you said, that's you you better be perfect every time or else. Yep. But moving uh, to, to the final match of the night, which I was surprised that this match got as little time as it did. I, I This match was only about 12 minutes, 12, and it was Roman Reigns defending, defending against Brock Lesnar. Now, the, the big storyline going into this match was where is Paul Heyman's loyalty? Where does it lie? Is it with Lesnar? Is it with Reigns? And, of course, Lesnar had been – he'd been poking the bear of sorts, laying the seed of doubt, you know, 
hey, Paul, how come you didn't tell Roman I was going to be at SummerSlam? I read the contract already. Paul and I went over it this morning. You know, I which I give credit the fact that Lesnar has been cutting some good promos. He's never been a talker. But this match was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Two big guys, big moves, kicking out of everything, beating the crap out of each other. And then we get to the ending, Benny, the ending where Roman calls for the belt. Lesnar kind of half wants it too. And Paul Heyman throws the belt in between the two of them. Doesn't really pick a side. I mean, and then of course the Usos come out and provide the distraction and let, and Reigns cheats and wins anyway. But what a perfect, and I know some people hated it, but what a perfect weasel piece of shit move for Paul Heyman to do. Like, so, so good. Because now he can grab the belt and he stays with Roman, but he never technically betrayed Lesnar. And we'll get to we'll get to that in a minute, how Lesnar responded on SmackDown. But I thought it was great. What do you what do you, what do you think, Benny? I okay, so here I was, I had run the table up until this point, eight and thing like hot damn because there was a st- Paul was getting interviewed backstage and he said I'm, I'm entering the ring with the reigning defending uh universal champion Roman Reigns and I am leaving with the reigning defending universal champion but he didn't say Roman Reigns and so I mean he would have been right either way and I'm thinking like he, he did that for a reason I'm thinking hot damn Lesnar's gonna win I'm gonna be nine and oh and uh but I, I enjoyed when he threw that belt. I'm t- thinking, like, how much did he – was there an X where he had to throw it? Like, you know, he, how much – how long did he practice doing that? But he did it perfect right in the middle where, like, you know, both of them made a grab for it. No, I yeah. – that that could not have been any better because it's going to, you know, it's going to lead to so much more down the road. Right. And and you talk about we, – we, we said it with the Meteora. You talk about zero margin for error if – that belt, I mean, and how many times have you thrown something in your life to, to you go to throw it to somebody and it sticks to your hand or it just leaves your hand wrong and goes in an opposite direction? Absolutely. You know, um, it, that belt goes too close to either person. That entire spot is ruined. It's blown, yeah. Yeah, or or let's say he, you know, if it, you remember the old, uh, year from many, many years ago, the, the Mr. Burns throw. You know, from from the, the the running joke in The Simpsons about how weak he was, he throws that belt and it doesn't get close enough to either guy. It doesn't work. Paul Heyman's perfect, perfect ending. It, I mean, it could have been t- it could be, be taken both ways. When I mean, he said, "You know what to do with this," or however he said it, yeah, and he throws it right in the middle. So either one of them could have known what to do with it. Yeah, and I I like that because I believe, as a fan watching, if Reigns doesn't get the belt. If Lesnar grabs the belt and he wins the match, Paul Heyman walks out with, with Lesnar. Like kind of like he did when he betrayed Lesnar with the big show all those years back. Well, I still think that's going to happen eventually, but it, it'll be, uh, it'll be like they, like they, uh, Eddie and Ray, they'll have a custody of Paul Heyman ladder match. <laughs> is, is, is Vince Russo still around? Can we have Paul Heyman on a forklift match? Yeah. Vince is still around. Yeah, J- Judy Bagwell's not using that forklift anymore. No, no, she retired. <laughs> but uh, I thought this was a great show. Uh, really, like I said, top to bottom. I had a few complaints. I know you, you, you didn't think it was perfect either, but it was really, if I had paid 
for this pay-per-view, I wouldn't have been disappointed, and I'm sure the crowd loved being there. I, all in all, I mean, it was very long, but it didn't feel like it was very long. Yeah, yeah no, you, I didn't even think to mention that. You're right. You, you hit that on the head. This pay-per-view was four hours. And considering that they've been doing two, 245 to barely three-hour shows since really the dawn, other than WrestleMania with COVID, you know, the three, the three hour paper, having a four hour show start to, especially with the pre-show five hours, start to finish. And, was and, and 10 event. matches with the, the, with the pre-show match. Yeah. 10 matches. That's a lot for one show. No, it, it, it went quickly you know, because not, I didn't feel like any of the matches dragged on. Yeah. Me neither. I, I, I like I said, it, it especially some of the longer ones like we talked about with Seth and Edge you know where you had i mean you, you had a a 30 minute match never felt like 30 minutes i got to think if you bought a ticket there you went home very happy absolutely absolutely but the fallout from this event Benny why don't you why don't you tell everybody how uh, Brock Lesnar handled losing the following night not, on SmackDown not very well unfortunately oh. By, by the way, um, already better off than the last crown, uh, crown Jewel show. The entire roster got home safely and and, and and quickly. So Yeah, I mean, they were in Wichita. Wasn't it the next night? Yeah. That's amazing when you think about it. Yeah, being you're, you're in Saudi Arabia Thursday afternoon and 7 p.m. you're going live in Wichita. Yeah, next well, day. I, I absolutely loved uh, Brock destroying everything and everybody. You know, poor poor Adam Pierce uh, got got a pair of ripped trousers in the deal, which was kind of humiliating. But <laughs> happens. I that when he picked when he shoved the cameraman and got that camera and and just charged at Roman and that thing just like splatted against the ring post. Holy crap! That that looked real. I mean that. Yeah that that goes to what we were saying with Edge. And Seth Rollins watching Brock Lesnar just obliterate people, and I, he looked like he, I want to kill Roman Reigns. Like that was that didn't look like a. I hate to use the word we we've we've made rules before about wanting to use it on the show, but that looked real. Well, I mean, it was a little bit of buildup. Didn't he? Didn't he tweet that he was going to arrive on the scene of SmackDown and beat Roman Reigns senseless? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure. I, I, I'm pretty sure he did. That he said he was gonna. I'm gonna beat him senseless. This they're getting kind of strong. I mean, you know, uh, Goldberg said, "What if you're next and you're dead?" I mean, they're yeah. really, they're really, they're stepping their game up a little bit. But yeah, and then then Reigns calls that Lesnar, and like it, it's endless. And you think Lesnar's not gonna even show up, and right. then he does. Now to Reigns' credit, though, he stood in the ring. But yeah, um, yeah, he got the crap beat out of him, and then the Usos, and who else? I don't. Who else even went out there? Well, they they ended up uh, sending some of the locker room out, and of all people, it was really Cesaro that. Good to see him on TV again, but it was Cesaro that really kind of calmed everything down and and kind of stood because you know they always say strongest pound for pound athlete in the company. Like he kind of stood Lesnar down, like, "Hey, Brock, calm down. You know, you're done." But yeah, some of the wrestlers went out. Adam Pierce, he's a uh, He's out. Brock Lesnar suspended indefinitely. Now, you and I talked about this. We were messaging when we were watching the show uh, and the aftermath. 
but um, you and I had a prediction that we agree on. Why don't you spoiler spoiler alerts for the future, Benny? Tell everybody what we think is going to happen. As as far as uh, Roman and, and as uh, as far as as Lesnar's suspension and when he's coming back. Uh, what's the next pay per view? You think it'll be the next pay per view? We were talking about. Well, um, I mean, you know that here. My guess is that between now and WrestleMania, he's going to win the belt, and he's probably going to lose it back at WrestleMania. But oh, see, okay, I thought cause when we were talking, we 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 seemed in agreement that. Usually, when you're suspended indefinitely at the end of towards the end of the year, that Lesnar is going to come back and win the Rumble, the Royal Rumble. Yes, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, at our brain brain blip there. Yeah. So you and I, because I messaged, I said Lesnar's coming back to win the Rumble, and you agreed. Like that's exactly what they're building for. And I mean, you saw it with Randy Orton. You saw it with uh, late later later with Cena uh, with the build up to his feud with The Rock. And Edge last year, they certainly like having their older veterans come back and win Rumbles. So Lesnar's won one, might as well give him a second. I think, now here's a question, Benny, and we'll get into this down the road when we get closer to Mania. If Lesnar does come back and win the Rumble, you think he wins the belt at Mania? Well, I thought his contract expired at Mania, so maybe not. Um my my question though is what happens if if the guy's not on TV now in the past when he wasn't on TV and he was the champion, uh, Heyman was his mouthpiece. Now who's going to do that in his absence? Well, he's suspended indefinitely. He doesn't need a mouthpiece now because he's he's not champion or or any in any major storyline. Right, line. but you you Heyman you Heyman can they, dismiss they him a little bit in the limelight. You know, just yeah, I'm sure they'll mention him. I mean, obviously the tension between Heyman and and Reigns and the family. They might mention him. Now, what do you think about this as as we wrap up the show? What do you think about doing the other way? Like you said, give Lesnar the belt between now and Mania and have Reigns win the Rumble and then win the belt back at Mania if Lesnar's going to go back to right off back into the sunset. Uh, that's what I'm going to think. I mean, unless they're going to extend it, but I, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. My understanding is he's got a contract through Mania or to, until Mania. So I thought, you know, he's going to win it. That's why I thought he was going to win it last night. Well, and it, yeah, and see, for me, a bit and then lose it at Mania. It, it seems like they're building to have Lesnar be the challenger, but me personally, I would have Lesnar. I would have the turn happen, have Paul Heyman turn on Reigns, and then have face Reigns win the Rumble and then Mania to finally give him that huge face pop that they've been pushing for for so many years. Yeah, maybe that's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, but still, I mean, we've got a lot of a lot of I mean, it's not even November yet. We still got some time. Uh, WWE released their their pay-per-view schedule. They've got a smaller schedule next year. They only have they only officially announced 10 pay-per-views down from 14. Um, However, they did say there's windows to add more. Interestingly enough, the next the first pay-per-view of 2022 is called Day One, and they haven't really. Other than confirming the name, they haven't said much of what the theme for that show is going to be. Interesting, but yeah, they've got a lot, lot coming up. Uh, we've always we've said it for weeks now with AEW and Ring of Honor and NWA and Impact and WWE. It is a good time if you if, there, if there's if you like wrestling, there's something out there for you right now. 
So it's a good time to be a fan. Benny, any closing thoughts? No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, and I still say you don't need to be a fan of one or the other. You can be a fan of both. I mean, there's, there's, I'm sorry, if you're a wrestling fan, you can't say I love WWE and I hate AEW because there, there's got to be something in AEW that you would like. And just like there's probably stuff in WWE that you don't like. So just you know, take the best of both. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, a lot of good stuff coming up. We got some good shows coming up to round out the year. We're going to have some, plenty of good interviews. And now, of course, we can, we can uh, continue to chug along with our new partner in crime, Jimmy Valiant's Wrestling School. So special shout out to him. I'm, I'm grateful for, for him wanting to be a part of this. And the, the, if you ever are in the neighborhood and if you can find the middle of nowhere, actually, it's not that really it's not that difficult to find. No, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, over exaggerating a bit, but you got the Valiant sisters, Lisa and Precious. You got Captain Joe, who's Jimmy's manager. You have uh, the Big M, a magnet man, Brian, Brian Powell, just really super nice people. And they really take you in. You know what I read before? It's not just hype. It, you. Once you join that school, you're part of their family. And, you know, you say NWO for life, you're BWC for life, for sure. BWC, check them out. So for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time.